like is the biggest fucking thing ever. Oh, come on. The other one needs to be like, don't pick on them. They're so good. They're so clean cut. They're such a good image for the children. Fuck that. When did mediocrity and banality become a good image for your children? I want my children to listen to people who fucking rot. I don't care if they die. American music I hear, George, in my ears. Real cosmic. We're going cosmic American music today with Graham Parsons. Graham Parsons. 1974. January of 1974. Grievous Angel. Yeah, it's we're doing two uh, final albums in a row here on the podcast. Uh, Let it burn. Not that. Not that Let It Be is really the last we'll ever hear from Beatles, but. Uh, this will be the last we'll ever hear of Graham Parsons. Yeah. Um, obviously, shit's been released after, but uh, posthumously released Grievous Angel. Yeah. He never got to uh, never got to hear how it did or what people thought of it. It's his second album, but let's let's. It's this isn't. He didn't only make two albums yeah. in, his, in his short career. First thing he died at 26, folks. We're listening to a 26-year-old right here. Yeah. This. Going back to the old man thing and the the guys in the sixties and seventies. I mean, he does sound a little younger than the other guys that we talked about, but still, I mean, these songs don't sound like a twenty-six-year-old heartbreak. Yeah, that's that's a year older than me for me that, to think I, I I could write music like this. And this is like his <laughs> fifth kind of album that he's been yeah. involved in that is pretty high stakes. Yeah, so we can go back and talk about that. Um, Graham Parsons was born in uh, born in Florida, uh, but he was a Georgia boy. Southern boy. Southern boy. And, uh, you know, he, he grows up in a really fucked up childhood. Uh, not really fucked up, but, you know. Well, a really wealthy, wealthy background. That's that's kind of the, uh, this guy is more of a, his story is more known than his music, it seems like. He's just got a really fucking interesting story from beginning till the final end. We'll, we'll get into the end, but everyone knows him from his death, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he came from a wealthy alcoholic 
very alcoholic. That's that's where uh, that's where the alcoholism comes in here. Yeah, and when I mean wealthy, from uh, there's a really great book, Twenty Thousand Roads, uh, written about him, and they compared it something like um, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I should have wrote it down, but like they were the his family, his grandfather was if there was a orange industrial complex. Mm-hmm. He was the owner. The guy. Yeah, like they owned <laughs> orange goes in Florida. citrus and orange. Like they they dominated that business. Yeah, and the government in the in the uh, during the war needed as much as they could, so they were just getting money, cash, and they turned into like a hundred fifty million dollar company, something ridiculous. Yeah. Um. So just that that beginning. It, this isn't a uh, not that we really go into the always like where every artist came from, but this isn't a rags to riches story. Story, yeah, yeah. And um, he, yeah, like you said, silver spoon in his mouth, but just like anything, anything else, he had his his share of, of tragedy oh, early sure. in his life. He deserves the compensation he got for. Yeah, yeah. he uh, his father died, or sorry, his dad killed himself when he was twelve years old. Uh, him and his sister were. Uh, he was 12 years old and he had his younger sister uh, killed himself 10 days or two days before Christmas Cecil Coondow Connor yeah and it just left him uh, understandably so left him very shook up yeah it was the, 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 the turning point in his life uh, I, luckily his mother was loving enough or just understanding enough to not let him know until after Christmas because mm-hmm. then Christmas is ruined forever yeah uh, yeah so he starts off with, uh, I mean, there's other stuff going on, but yeah. So he has two alcoholic uh, parents. One kills himself, and he's being raised by his mother, who herself is pretty heavy alcoholic, yeah. um, and meets Bob Parsons. So he actually takes his stepdad's name. Mm-hmm. So his original name was George Ingram Cecil Connor the Third. I'm really glad. That's a rich person name. It is, and it's not a rock star. Con- <laughs> it's Definitely not the guy not. who started the country rock movement. Ingram. Yeah, Ingram. Yeah, I mean, he did take he did, did take the uh, the gram there. Um, but yeah, so he's 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 southern southern rich like not if if it was in the 1800s it'd be like plantation owners. But uh, right. thank God it was the you know the 50s and 60s here that. Uh, I mean, not that things were completely clear up in the in the South of the racial tensions, because they still aren't. But um, yeah, wealthy kid, and he actually gets into Harvard. And that, from reading a little bit about that, they, he wasn't. He was really smart, but there's kind of how did he how did he get yeah. in? Was there some back pay? Because yeah. he was kind of he was no matter what his backstory is, he was obsessed with music. Mm-hmm. Once he once he started playing, he actually started off as like a piano player, a yeah, really like a, good he, one, he, uh, like jazz jazz yeah. jazz pianist. Yeah, um, yeah. So he got into Harvard, um, kind of. I, I, he just didn't seem interested. I don't know why. I think he just felt this is what I do. I'm in a wealthy family. I'm, this is the next step you do. You go to uh, Harvard. Yeah, does, some Ivy League college. Go to Harvard? Yeah. <laughs> and he was not interested at all. He didn't even last a full semester. Yeah, uh, he, he went to study theology and just whatever. But yeah. at, at, at Harvard, he this is sort of where he started taking off with his music stuff. Uh, it was at Harvard he heard Merle Haggard, uh, heard a George Merle Haggard Jones. song. Yeah, just the, the the greats, you know, the, the yeah. four horsemen, not four horsemen, but you know, the Merle Haggard, George Jones, um, like Monty Robbins, like just old country guys. And he started becoming obsessed with it uh, and just started... And then while he was there, he was like, hey, fuck it, let's get in a band. 
and then they it, Boston at the time, so Harvard's in you know Boston. Harvard. Uh, he formed a band over there, the International Submarine Band. Yep. Yeah, and I, I didn't get into these guys until you, you kind of learn about them after. Mm-hmm. Um, and they made one album that's actually pretty decent for 1966. He was what 20 years old. Yeah. Or right around that yeah. age. Um, and there's a couple of bangers. Bangers. And their luxury liner became one of his standards and one of his great songs. It's, it's probably one of his most famous songs. Yeah, uh, yeah luxury so to, liner. So to come right out at that age and have uh, a it, classic a under your belt. Never was a hit that, or really any of his music was never quote unquote hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He he had a bunch of. Obviously, this is the Grievous Angel what we're doing right now is his second solo record, but he had you know some some resume go under his belt here for sure. Just his, his friends and respect of his peers and all that shit. Well, um, he he started making a name for himself after the uh, submarine band. And right before we get into that, there's one more tragedy we need, briefly have to uh, address because it's kind of huge. So he's in International Submarine Band. He's going to college. On the day of, oh no, I'm sorry. On the day before graduation from high school, mm-hmm. his mother dies. Oh yeah, that, yeah. We, right. we, we, we so before want, high school, kind of wanted to make sure we got that one. Yeah, I was about to say when he graduated from college, and then I just said no, he dropped out. No, didn't even make it yeah. uh, first semester. So his dad commits suicide. His mom dies of cirrhosis or liver can liver failure for drinking too much. And there's rumors that the Bob Parsons was coming into the hospital, sneaking a little. Old booze. Really old grandpa's medicine. And, and there was like uh, rumors in the family that he tried to kill her for the money. Um, yeah, because she, she was the uh, she's the heiress of, of that fortune. A lot, a lot of money. A lot of money. Um, yeah, so he uh, did come out with what's it called? Uh, Safe at Home? Mm-hmm. Safe at Home with the International Sub- uh, Submarine Band. And so this was like 1966, 67. Yep. Uh, international. Excuse me. The International Submarine Band broke up at like 1968. Yeah, and, and this is one thing throughout this. What, you know, George is about to go kind of quickly about what albums that he jumped into or what bands he was. Him being that, that I, it was like fifty-five thousand dollars inheritance a year that mm-hmm. he get. Mm-hmm. He had the luxury, which most musicians or just an average person. If you're in a band, you're gonna try to stick together longer because you're trying to figure out he could just he could survive without anyone's help yeah. or without he didn't have to struggle. He, there was even something about him when he was in LA, like people trying to meet up somewhere. He always had a car. He had a Jaguar. Other yeah. friends didn't know how to get get around. Um, so that's that's kind of him. International submarine band. Once he wasn't happy with the situation, he was out. Yeah, it was kind of always on his terms. A little bit of a rich kid syndrome. A little bit. Um, yeah, but he also had a sound in his head, and if you weren't doing what he had in his head, he had a vision, and that sometimes you can't get in the way away of that, obviously. Uh huh. Um. So after International Submarine Band, he meets uh, meets Chris Hillman, who was the uh, bassist for the band The Birds. The Birds, you know, with the Y B Y B Y R D S Yards. Um, and then he actually, like we were saying earlier about the uh, him being a, p- a pianist, he was getting recruited to be just a, for that, yeah, a jazz pianist. And once he got in, in with the band, uh, he was a you know contributing songwriter, acoustic guitar, backup vocal kind of guy. Well, well, not even that. Like, and again, this is him just being 
he came in is, oh, we need a pianist. Please play the piano. I have some ideas. Okay, you have some ideas. They, they were going to do this album that they ended up doing, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, mm-hmm. but it was supposed to be like a, a time travel throughout all music. They were going to start from like old I know, country numbers and then go into, they were eventually going to end up in like an electronic song. Mm-hmm. That never happened because of Grant Parsons. He kind of just wedged his way in there and was like, let's do a country album, country rock yeah. album. Mm-hmm. At the time, that no one even knew what that meant. The country and rock were just, you're either a hippie, fucking loser, druggie, or your country, yeah, and you write standards, and and he he'll he'll get sort of credit at least between musicians, like what Bob Dylan did with folk music and rock and roll. Yeah, Graham Parsons sort of gets credit for doing the same with country and rock and roll. Absolutely. Um, which I mean, any any uh, maybe musician or country artist worth his salt is gonna give give uh, Graham Parsons a a ton of credit. I think everyone does, and and he. You know, when you start a movement or a kind of new sound, you don't really get the the, the limelight and the, the no. all the glory for it. No. Uh, so he would play at a rock venue, and they'd be like, "What the hell is this country nonsense?" Mm-hmm. And then he'd play for country folk, and they'd be like, "What this, this loud? Country. Yeah, this you're you're desecrating on our sacred music." Yeah, and and, and fan, hardcore fans of any musical genre, whether it's metalheads or or, or rap uh, rap guys yeah. or country guys, they'll defend what they think is the pure and honest uh, yeah. country music in this world. That ain't country music, for sure. You know, yeah. Um, and he definitely got a lot of got a lot of that, especially in the '60s before internet, before communication. You just there were just little communities. No, mm-hmm. no one knew what the hell was going on over there, but there was the whole hippies movement going on in the '60s. So if you even had played rock and roll, you were associated with that, you know. With so the hippie, it was just shunned. Yes, yeah. it was us versus them. Um, and this this man was trying to uh, blend both together because he saw the bigger point of music. There is this is music does cross all boundaries, race, religion, Absolutely. all that. But it doesn't at the part at, at the beginning. People like to hold on to whatever is precious to them. Um, so he came in the sweetheart of the rodeo with just a really strong opinion for a guy that's just supposed to be playing the piano yeah. for a well-established band. Mm-hmm. This isn't like they just started another little band and he's he has some ideas. He actually pushed his way in and and got and made, in my opinion, the best Birds album. I've listened to uh, other uh, ones. Sweetheart of the rodeo. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I don't even know if I've really delved into the other bird shit after I mean I, I have definitely but Sweetheart of the Rodeo is definitely the one that sticks out to me it's the it's just and I'll, I'll probably use this word a lot but he's uh, and I think that's why the albums that we choose that pick it's not really the type of music it's just if it transcends and if you listen to other birds albums they're good but they kind of sound in their time and they, there's yeah. some amazing songs mm-hmm. well it, they definitely fit into the flower power yeah. group uh, yeah. generation of the 60s Turn, turn, turn yeah. Tambourine Man mm-hmm. You know those songs Yeah um, What song was it That we did Off the Neil Young record That they covered uh, See the Sky About the Rain Oh yeah So yeah They were You know They were They were in And they, like you said They were they were been a, uh, Yeah very, very well established band And for I mean It just kind of shows Obviously hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty with these things where you just be like, this is fucking asshole coming in here. He's, yeah. he's the piano player. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. You know, but he, he has, he knew he wanted to do. Yeah, and, and their fans will say that he kind of broke them up because mm-hmm. after that they were never the same. Yeah. Uh, he left after that, that album and on the official album they scrapped three of his vocals and yeah. had um, 
not is it Chris Hillman or they just had other the, some of the other artists on in the band sing over them um, and actually scrap some of his lead vocals and when you listen to it you can listen to it on Spotify or whatever you want um, I I just the way he sings it's not even that he has this amazing voice it's just an honest voice to there's, me there's a rawness to to his voice 100% it doesn't sound like he's an acting like trying to act sing or, or trying to portray anything that's not real yeah the uh, the guy with the birds was uh, t- uh, uh, McGinn yeah Roger McGuinn yeah Roger McGinn was uh, once they once they uh, ready ready to, to to record it he you know they, they said he scrapped all this shit up and he told uh, Cameron this is Parsons told uh, Cameron Crowe in an interview he said McGinn erased it and did the vocals himself and fucked it up um, but he is fa- he is in three songs but yeah. obviously there was other you know there's other shit that that he was involved in and um, just but like like everything else that will that will go through again his career is so short yeah um, he, he was with the birds but yeah he was with the birds for like a year you know yeah, that's it one album one album and, um, and it was that was short they did they did a little touring um, they were gonna actually tour in South Africa and there was an apartheid there so he didn't wanna got a little political and said I don't want to be any part of that Graham himself yeah, yeah. the rest of the band was like yeah we're going to South Africa he had it whether you know he had his own his own point of view just like everything else hard headed guy um, nope not gonna go to, not gonna go there and then just they uh, now just left did he did he have strong convictions political convictions or was he heavily into drugs at the moment and too lazy to really want to go on tour yeah so one thing that is uh, consistent in, in Grant Parsons' career is that really from the beginning, he's got a bit of a drug problem. Likes the uh, drinking, likes the pills, yeah. and, event, and then later gets into the heroin and... Mm-hmm. Cocaine. Cocaine. Yeah. So, yeah, he was known as a party boy. And again, you have that much money coming in. Mm-hmm. If you have any kind of liking of drugs... They just came to play. And I'm sure he was a popular guy because of that. And he was a good-looking guy. Yeah. The ladies loved him. You know, that's it's just a recipe for, for disaster. Absolutely. Giving, uh, people, giving someone $55,000 in 1968 a year. $55,000 now. It's a salary. Um, Unbelievable. It's dangerous, dangerous game to play. Yeah, and, and you know, we're not... We're, you and I are big Grant Parsons fan, but fans but it's not because he was uh, the nicest guy or the sweetest guy or like no. a great guy even um, just a very 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 fucking talented musician yeah uh, at the end of the day all these stories will fade away and then the, the albums will be what, yeah. what is left well, he you know just like anybody else be an asshole but this is what's like you said this is what's gonna live forever yeah. so who gives a shit what everybody else yes and then there's that same thing going with the whole asshole thing is but there's a couple of his buddies that will say that he was the best guy yeah, that they ever met in his life so you got that tight group but it's almost like neil young or anything that if he didn't really musically wise if he didn't really have anything for him any moment at that moment he was gone yeah because he could yeah. You had to do what you had to do to survive. He could move on at any moment. Mm-hmm. Not and really if he didn't want to do it, he didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So he was with the birds for a year, and then um, yeah, they were recording like in uh, they were recording with the birds in England, or he was with the the band in England, and then he goes out, uh, he leaves the birds, comes back or comes to LA, and uh, when he was in in LA, he sought out 
Hillman again here. Yep. And formed the Flying Burrito Brothers. So obviously Hillman saw something in him that... And they liked each other. Yeah. They yeah. had a bond. And they yeah. were brothers till the end. Uh-huh. Even though they had their falling outs at moments. Yeah, again, this is, that's Chris Hillman, who's the bassist for the birds. Flying Burrito Brothers. Uh, uh, <laughs> Hell of a name. I like it. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's weird on a marquee. At that time, everyone's used to the Beatles, uh-huh. the Doors, the The. The Flying Burrito Brothers. brothers. <laughs> you don't know, is that rock and roll? Is that a Mexican fucking yeah. mariachi band? Yeah. What's it's like going a psychedelic, on? psychedelic uh, mariachi band. I uh, think it's just brothers that like to get high and eat burritos. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, which Okay, so what they wanted to do when they were Flying Burritos Brothers was, cool, now we can focus on making uh, our version of country, uh, yep. our, our version of country music. Yep. Um, and they took what was called the Bakersfield Sound, which is like Buck Owens, those kind of dudes. Yep. Um, Buck Owens is always the one I, I can remember. Um, and Merle's from there too, right? Huh? Merle Hargard's from there too, right? From Bakersfield? I don't know. I thought he was. Uh, but so they were like, okay, cool. Like, we like that that sound. We want to make psychedelic shit in there because we're drug addicts and it's the 60s. Um, and make our own sound so they did what uh, <clears throat> excuse me they, they like let's put our own little spin on country music here. yeah and they came out with the gilded palace of sin great great one and, and it's kind of weird for for both albums for this or for his solo albums and for the flying breeder brothers the way i'm introduced and this is how they released in cds and even on on spotify uh, or on whatever you listen to I, I knew Flying Burrito Brothers as one album, The Gilded Palace of Sin and Burrito Deluxe. Mm-hmm. And I, obviously I knew it was two albums, but I just know it as one. And the same thing with uh, GP and Grievous Angel, his solo albums. We're yeah. doing Grievous Angel now that he did one before GP. I know that I knew that as one album. Oh, really? it, 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 yeah, they, yeah. they sold it as one. Yeah. They, almost, they did that with Big Star, too. They just did that with some bands that don't have that big of a collection. Just put the albums together and sell it as that. It's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Burrito Deluxe was like trying to, was like after they did uh, the Gilded Palace of Sin. Yeah. And they wanted to, and it wasn't selling well. It wasn't, they weren't becoming super popular. And then as like a marketing, marketing ploy, they go, here's Burrito Deluxe. Yeah. And it was just new songs, like a bunch of other, you know, old ones, outtakes, stuff like that. I, I've read reviews that every, a lot of people say Gilda Palace of Sin is their masterpiece and then Breeder Deluxe isn't that good. I like them both. I yeah. think they're great, great country rock. Country, I, I don't know what we're going to call it. Country rock. But well, what's his... The, what's his... his Cosmic uh, American music. It's just a mouthful. Well, I, I do like that. I, I mean, if you wanted to name it that, then we should call it that. Yeah, Cosmic um, American music. But two great albums, but just not working out again. And I think, again, it's not them trying to like well let's get better and better it's if this doesn't hit i'm moving on moving on to the next thing i need he wants to he he says he doesn't he's he's a a man of contradictions which humans are we all are uh you know he does the whole i don't want to be big i don't care i just want to make real music but he wants to be big yeah definitely i mean he's going for the he's trying to hit all money yeah. and at this time he was making very very powerful friends in music and was uh you know he, he was not just a guy oh i'm just gonna stay in my studio and uh yeah. and put stuff out Smoozing. but i'm not gonna tour yeah he was he was working working to become a popular guy yeah um and i think that the biggest thing from uh, international submarine band didn't really take off anywhere but everyone knew the birds and when they did sweetheart of the rodeo there was a, a big shift in music um, 
during that time, there was a huge psychedelic boom. But we talked about the Beatles going going back mm-hmm. to, to basics. Going that kind of has to do with that. The band was huge, too, but the band uh, influenced a lot of people as well as him. Dylan did John Wesley Harding. Uh, even Grateful Dead did The Working Dead and American Beauty, two great country-ish albums. So everyone was kind of influenced by that whole scene out here in California. And was getting away getting away from the flower power thing. Yeah. Even though it hadn't been around that long. Yeah. You know, they were like, no, let's, we're, we're already going to rebel against against this uh, yeah. against this uh, establishment of, of counterculture, counter-counterculture. Yeah, and they just, they, everyone heard something, there's a root in that kind of music that you just can't get out of a flowery power thing for so mm-hmm. long. There's just something, this music you can, and people still do, and they're Wilco, and My Morning Jacket, and uh, even uh, Father John Misty or just there's uh, that music will just keep going mm-hmm. where Flower Power if you kept on trying to do that it would just sound really dated There, I think it's because there's an inherent um, nostalgia but also a highlight on heartbreak yeah. and, and pain in yeah. country music that will forever be universal Yeah, uh, that you can tell a billion different stories on why you're sad or how you're sad or what it's like to be sad and country music is i mean some of my favorite country songs are just fucking heartbreakers well and it's simple yeah it's sitting around a fire campfire music where the psychedelic stuff you had to get a flute and fucking you had to put on some crazy costumes and and get some weird backwards guitars and stuff like that where country music and and roots music is just basic chords it can get a little trick and the musicians on it could be amazing yeah. but the the song by itself when you strip everything else Simple away songs. three chord four chord songs um, and I, I just I don't think you can really you can't get rid of that that the, the foundation of the music strong so I think that's you, you hear a lot of these bands go in that direction at this time um, he goes on another little he you know, quits that band he's kind of floating around for a while makes his first solo album um gp and we were talking about doing either or they're both great albums mm-hmm. and some people love the first one some people love the second some people love both yeah they're not there's not a bad and a good one they're both great it just kind of matters uh your, your preference the the good thing about making that first album in the tour that they went on uh before previous angel is his voice greatly improved yep um and he got so much better with the wonderful Emmy Lou Harris that we, as I like to call her, Stone Cold Fox. Stone Emmy Cold Lou Fox. Harris. Uh, yeah, she was a um, an up and comer kid, really. When he he found her and at a little, she was playing a show in Washington D.C. Introduced by Hillman, though. Yeah. Uh huh. So another Chris Hillman doing another. He his boy. He's something about her and you. Mm-hmm. I think you'll like it. Yeah, and they start. Uh, she finishes off her little couple little things, and she, he. Um, Graham says, "Hey, come come and make a record with me back in uh, back in LA. Yeah, let's 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 do a record." And he said something like, uh, "You know, he's very suspect." Um, and asked her to sing. He said, "What's?" He was trying to think of the hardest song to duet with, and I think it was like, "That's all it took," or one of his one of his songs off the first album. Mm-hmm. And she hit it right away. She said she had eye contact, and he she knew exactly when you were going to go up, go down. She could just harmonize without really practicing. She was just a natural. And she could just slide right through anything you're doing and not get caught off guard. And it really is one of those 
once in a lifetime duets. You got the Beatles, you got Paul and John. There's a lot we could name, but this one was perfect for each other. I've listened to her solo albums, and they're great. His his stuff before is great, but them two together, it's it's the the magic. She she her solo stuff by herself is is amazing, but there she's got. She did it with Graham, and she also did. There's a live performance of her and Ryan Adams, the neo, one of these kind of neo country guys, totally influenced. There would be no no. Ryan Adams. Yeah, he's a very. He he takes a lot of. uh, He kind of has a a lot of uh, influence. Are you saying he takes it a bit too much? No, he has a bunch of different styles of music that he just clearly is like cool I'm making a Grant Parsons record here here I'm gonna do Rolling Stones record here I'm gonna do a Bruce Springsteen record very talented dude but I love nice seeing Grant Parsons legacy living on in in, in someone um, and, but she does my whole point of bringing Ryan Adams up is that she did a show and I think she did she sang a couple songs on his uh, Heartbreaker record and their combination of, of lyrics or their melody too, she found it with him as well. Yeah. So her great contribution to music is singing along with with uh, yeah singing and, along with other with, with dudes. And, and the the great thing about she made herself her own solo career. It's not like she just lived off of Grand Parsons, yeah, but she to make tol- it seem like that. no, but she totally respected him and. I, I I can't give you the breakdown of what she did, but like the the first al- album she made after his death was with the backing band that we haven't even got into yet. Mm-hmm. She said if Graham likes him, then I then he you know she just knew that he was a genius. Yeah. And 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 this movement, I think she did two covers on that album. Then she did another like covers for like the next five years, and then she wrote a a concept album about a rock star that goes on tour and dies. Uh-huh. So her she it wasn't that she was just marketing and living off of him but she would, didn't want his memory to die it's like a pro she, she knew, was his protege yeah and she knew he needed to get the respect that he didn't get in life uh-huh. and now he is looked at as one of the greats mm-hmm. in country i think he's in the country hall of fame now finally uh, is it or is that still i up still for, think that he's, he's still not um, is that still the thing that they're fighting for i have no idea uh-huh. i have no idea it's really stupid um i think even when emily harris got into the the country music hall of fame she's like yeah uh you guys left out someone oh, guys left- that's what it is she's in it and they yeah she's in it and he i believe he is not uh and when i think on her one of her acceptance speeches she was just like yeah the, you guys forgot a big big guy you guys uh thank you for this but uh you know grant parsons yeah, he, 40 uh, 50 years later and he still like the hippie yeah. He had long hair and fucking did drugs. Mm-hmm. That which that's just that true. country music. That's not true at all because all those outlaws did. So. Absolutely, yeah. Well, he, he, for this, he, you know, Chris Christopherson and Johnny Cash and, and Willie Nelson and, uh, you know, Waylon Jennings, those guys get, I guess I can name 10 more guys, um, will get the outlaw country thing. But Graham Parsons was a like a weird stepchild of the yeah. outlaw country guys because he was doing rock music yeah absolutely i mean there was a after the uh what is it uh chris chris hillman said he said the greatest legacy of flying burrito brothers and graham is that we were alternate uh, alternative country bands we didn't get on country radio and we couldn't get on rock radio we were outlaw country band for a period for a brief period yeah so and this is you know yeah they were they, they were the outlaws of the outlaws mm-hmm <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't bend, or uh, he he wouldn't go either direction. He just kept following his muse, 
Um, and I guess that's kind of where we end up now. He, they went yep. on. A, they went on the tour. Let's just see if anything else we need to, to fill in. So they they went on a tour off the first album. They're playing just small bars. They got that small fanatic following, but mm-hmm. for the most part, they're Not playing a just, lot of nothing. No. Yeah. People that really like this type of music, um, but they're not getting on the radio again, that kind of stuff. He's also, um, he, was, he had his heroin addiction. He does clean up for this, this album for a bit. And then at the end, he starts falling apart. Yeah. Um, but this is the, the, the most clear-eyed he's been in a while. He's very after, after GP or before GP? Uh, after GP. Yeah. So the tour, he's kind of falling apart. He's married to uh, Gretchen Parsons, and that's about to end as well. He's there's rumors that he was about to file for divorce on the day that he died, or around that time. That's why he went out to Joshua Tree. But so on that tour, I guess it's miserable for everyone because they're fighting all the time. Yeah, she's with, she's coming, she's on the tour with them. And she's only like 20 years old. Yeah. I, mean, and, I give and, her a lot of, like, she's a 20-year-old girl on hooked on drugs. Yeah, I and mean, she's, they have a kid that they, a little daughter that they brought on tour with them too, so it was just a recipe for disaster, really. Yeah. And, you know, she is a 20-year-old kid and had, and her husband's singing music with uh, the beautiful Emmy Lou Harris. She's and absolutely you know they stunning. have an extra, extra chemistry there that's sexual or not um, definite problems with with uh, with the wife and uh, and, and then Harris yeah. yeah listen to when you listen to these songs imagine you're married to this guy and he's singing these songs with another woman looking in each other's eyes yeah and that's worse than cheating. <laughs> yeah, you, you tell me you wouldn't be. You, yeah, there, there's a and there's a little a, extra there. Yeah. Um. I mean, they both said that there. They just had that like almost spiritual connection with each other, and uh, you can hear it. Yeah, there's absolutely. No, you can't. There's, there's no faking the funk here. There's, there's no uh, auto tune. There's no. Um, it, it, most of this is going to be cut live. <laughs> you know, they, they do vocal takes. It takes a lot. Vocals definitely are the one that take more time. But for them, it really one or two takes, three takes, four takes. Yeah. Usually hit it pretty good. Um, and again, going back to his money, the I think it was Warner Brothers was his uh, record label. Yeah, record label trying to throw up money, and they were not about to help him with. You know, we go back to Cap Power. She wanted to work with Al Green's band. That was what she threw out in the air, and then they ended up getting. Um, no, she wanted to do Otis Redding's band. Well, she ended up working with Elvis's band. band, right? Yeah, yeah. So he said, "I want Elvis's band." Yeah. And they're like, "Cute." Like, of course you do. We're not paying for that. Yeah. I have fifty-eight thousand dollars coming in next year. Is that gonna help? I'll pay for uh-huh. it. So uh, he put his money where his mouth was and paid for it himself yeah. to get Elvis's backing band. Elvis's backing band at this time wasn't. 1958 Elvis. This mm-hmm. is Fat Elvis, yeah. uh, Vegas Elvis with the sparkly suits and, um, you know, kind of looked as, as not hip anymore. Going into the Sunset Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're a band that all, they all wear the same suits and that's looked at as like cheesy and like, come on, man, wear your hair and wear whatever you want. Well, in the Flying Burrito Brothers, they have one, one thing that, that they, they would do, like the, what they called the nudity, nude, nudity, nude, nudity suits. And they're just kind of like these, uh, almost look like mariachi uh, suits. Over the top. Yeah, oh, totally over the top and embroidered and all this shit. Uh, and Graham just had his all embroidered with pills and marijuana yeah. and like... Paraphernalia. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they do GP, uh, record GP, and it was, you know, 
cool. That was good. It's great. Well, it's not good. It's a great album. Yeah. No, I mean, like at the t- at the time, it's like cool. We we but I nothing. did one 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 record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was very lazy at writing new songs. Again, the drug thing. Uh, just. And it was more just like, hey, this is how I do it. If you listen to his interviews, he's just like this. And I just, I thought if I uh, gave a little time, you know, and I wrote the songs, and then they would, they would kind of figure out themselves. And t- that's how he literally, he was yeah. just, it was probably on drugs. So he just, so just, Rambling this is Randy. how I just kind of went, and everything was like this. <laughs> it's actually nice to listen to. If you want to go to bed, listen to current Graham Parsons interviews. They're, <laughs> they're very relaxed. There's only like two, too. That, that's another whole mystery to him is there's not much of him. There's yeah. a couple live recordings. There's a couple of interviews. Other than that, he's not really around. Um, so, anyways, they got Elvis's band, and these are some great players. It's not surprising if you're in fucking Elvis's band. I don't care what year, what time he's going through. These are he's not having some slouches up there. Amazing players. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll kind of do you want to get run down the name or just kind of talk about it when we go through the songs? Well, let's we just say the names. The uh, Glenn Harden is the piano player. Uh, James Burton is electric guitar. Uh, Emery Gordy bass. Ronnie Tut drums. Al Perkins on pedal steel. Al Perkins on the pedal. He's gonna do some things on this yeah. album. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's something that uh, that Graham Parsons really, really wanted was to have have the uh, pedal steel sound. I, and I, I'm one of those people. I don't know what it is. And I've mentioned this on our other podcast. I don't know what pedal steel does to some me and some other people. Mm-hmm. You like what it is it's, it's so just, sad yeah and it's not you can't fake it, it, it almost you can't do anything else with pedal steel than but make it sound like you're crying but it's like calming too yeah. it's like uh it's gonna be a massage okay. on my in my brain waves <laughs> so um, al perkins is gonna be huge in this yeah um, and then so those are like that's the that's like the not the house band but that's a, the band yeah, as, for a, the as most a full part. yeah um linda ronstadt will play on here she will be in there uh bernie leaden who uh, he'll play some like he'll some play some guitar. Byron Berlain, who the fiddle. he kills it on here too. Fiddle, it, great. And this is like, just listen to the the instruments on here. It's a country rock music. Yeah. It's a country album. Yeah. Uh, it's a like bluegrass folk. It's got it's got country in it. And I, um, and I think if players you, on here. And if you don't like country, because there's a lot of people, especially out here in LA, blah, blah, mm. I don't like fucking country. Never do. And I don't know why they said it in the southern accent. It'd be weird just to do. Never fucking liked it. Tell you I that. Never liked. Anyways, countries. you guys want to go out to the beach? Uh, but if you up lost scanning on, I, I, right on the brown. I, I, I I'm not a huge. I don't know the history of country music. I don't know all the old players. But if you want to like try to get del- yourself open to yeah, country Grand music, Grand Parsons would be a nice segue in because it's mm-hmm. that mix. Yeah. Um, and then you can do the obvious Willie and Merle Haggard. But you know what it is, too? He doesn't have the... Catalog? Well, no. He just doesn't have the twang in his voice. Oh, yeah. And I think that turns a lot of people off. But he, he'll do it sometimes he as, as just like, okay, this is the right time to, yeah. to put this on here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he doesn't have... He doesn't have... He's not a... He, he doesn't have a country, you know... Uh, Nashville, Nashville twang in his voice. And I bet you that got him... Uh, yeah, because uh, the, like, the, the southern accent for the most part is is uh, not to say poor, but it's a lot of the in in, in poor areas of the south yeah. is where you'll get get the real thick. So he was bank, probably so. taught not to talk like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're going to Harvard. You're going to speak. You know, you speak. And he does. Ha- s- he does have a little bit of a of an accent. Yeah. Um, but it's not. You know. 
it's just a lazy draw but mm-hmm. it, it, it never goes like this you know it's never yeah. like that it's just kind of like this mm-hmm. everything's drawn out but yeah. never that that normal southern accent that you hear so the one that we've been poorly poorly mimicking yeah i'm sorry any southern <laughs> people that are listening um and it's it's tough to listen to it, it takes a while if you don't have that accent if you're not around it it's a little off-putting. and this might just be for me yeah, yeah it's a, it is a little off-putting for me I, I i wish i could be and i am more open to listening to it now but when you're when you listen to I don't want to say normal, but just normal English accent for a uh-huh. while, and then you hear that it is—it throws you off. It it's al- a little off-putting. It's because it's almost sounds like people, you're fucking with us. It, yeah, like you really talk like that, and you're gonna sing like that, not because you're just because you're singing country music. Like you're gonna put that affectation on your voice because yeah. this is what I do. I sing country music. And and other type of music, like you got the dudes from Oasis or uh, uh, tons of English or Beatles. They sing, once they sing, mm-hmm. they could be from fucking Detroit. Forever. Yeah. yeah, you'd have no idea. Uh-huh. Country doesn't let you be like, I wonder if these guys are from the South or not. You can, and if you if you really know, you'd be like, oh, they're from Alabama, from yeah. Northeast Alabama, because yeah. that's where that accent's yeah, from. Just and they'll let you know. Lick, lacquered on accents. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we can talk about the record cover a little bit oh, yeah. it's uh graham's face on a sky blue background kind of uh fat and not that it matters but he this they, they put on more of a heavy fat face picture of him his druggy kind of face mm-hmm. which wasn't the original plan this was chosen by gretchen it was originally supposed to be him and emily Lou Lou on a on a harley yeah uh her on the back like Hugging around mm-hmm. his, uh, and the wife didn't want that. Yeah, scraped it completely. And the album, his face is in black and white. It was blue, like a darker blue, yellow, or lighter blue, and then a darker blue again. And it kind of looks like that would be the like what would be on his tombstone. It does. Yeah, it kind of um, looks like a tombstone. Yeah, and uh, it's just yeah, it's not a bad picture. It's just it's kind of if you if you know what he looks like. You're like, really? You, you picked him at that point when that he's kind of bloated? Yeah. And he was like, like you said earlier, he was like, you know, a handsome guy. Yeah. Um, <sighs> and it, it was originally accredited. This album was supposed to be called Graham Parsons with Emmy Lou Harris because she deserves she deserves it. Yeah. Uh, nope. Didn't happen. She was relegated to the back cover. Yeah. If it's it, on the it'll say on top and white on the back cover to say with Emmy Lou Harris. Yeah. It's just <laughs> come on. Caddy. But that's a 20 year old wife. Absolutely. Uh, who Absolutely. just lost her husband. That's you know grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a Emmy Lou Harris album too. So she deserves. Uh, to be on the front yeah. cover, but it's it's yeah. So it it's but it is kind of a cool cover. And some weird, I don't know the blue and the green. Yeah. Just it looks it looks like a like a memor- in memorial in memoriam. It does. Graham Parsons, uh, 1946 to 1976 or whatever it, it, it is. And uh, you, you can't help listening to albums. You know you you listen to anyone that died and then an album came out. You just hear. Are you hearing them mm-hmm. telling you? Are they giving you hints? Mm-hmm. And you'll hear that. I mean, <laughs> right now what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, there's just some some lines in some of the songs or just things it's they they kind of sound like goodbyes or a man that knows he's doesn't have long to live here he's definitely hurting um, yeah. and it's funny or we'll get obviously we'll get into the things but some of these okay so after he did GP um, that album was kind of just like okay oh cool now we got a solo record it, w- it was not on accident but it wasn't like okay we're gonna go in the studio we're gonna record these songs and then we're gonna have an album uh, so they did GP Previous Angel was like okay I'm gonna get you 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 Emmylou 
It was you, the you, you, and most Lou. thought out. Yes. The, the first one was kind of just off the cuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, cool. Let's, let's, you know, get this out. A lot of these songs that he they wrote, wrote on the road or worked on on the road. Um, they're cool. Let's, uh, let's, let's put this... Um, Let's put this record together. So they're in LA. They go to Wally Heater Studio Number Four in Hollywood, um, which I don't really know where it's in. It's in Hollywood, uh, but I never really heard anything else about this record or this. Sorry, about this. Um, call in if you know about the studio. Yeah, yeah call us if you let us know. Um, recorded in. The, they recorded it pretty much in the summer of uh, 1973, and. Um, Emmy Lou is the, the band's there, and they, they, uh, he had a couple songs, but it was like, okay, we didn't have anything, and a couple of these songs that he wrote were just kind of like last minute, like, all right, here, here's a song that we have, and we'll we'll point that out when we get there. But there's some great songs that he just wrote off the cuff. Yeah, he um, would. Uh, Emmy Lou has a quote: "He would work on a song, set it aside, and finish it when time demanded." Mm-hmm. Pretty much saying. We're about to record that. Is this song done? Oh, right, right, right. Let me finish it. Yeah, up. I got it. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I thought it would go in. And and what he really loves is this is such a fucking super thing is music. Like he would when they were uh, on tour, they play their songs and then they go out back to the hotel. Um, and he just he's like, now let's really play. And he would just play Merle Haggard. Buck Owens, uh, he really like Conway Twitter. Uh, Conway Twitty. Twitty. Uh-huh. Twitter, sorry. He's the guy who on Family Guy, uh, they'll do, it's like a stupid running guy that they do, and be like, ladies and gentlemen, Conway Twitty. Really? And then he'll, and then it'll be a Conway Twitty music video. Yeah, and it's just that old school style um, country. Yeah. Yeah, he's singing, he's singing very virtuoso y. Uh, well, I and, guess, yeah, from what. Um, Oh, we didn't. We didn't even get into the friendship between uh, him and Rolling Stones. Yeah. Uh, well, he actually specifically uh, Keith Richards. Keith Richards. Yeah. 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 The other guys weren't really friends of his, but uh, Keith Richards says that Conway Twitty was his idol for singer. Uh, that's where he got his model for phrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he was friends with, and again, you know, I me- I mentioned those other albums, The Grateful Dead, The Band, how they're all kind of influenced. Once Graham came into uh, their live Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. you see that shift into they, they took, yeah. country music, uh-huh. Wild Horses. Absolutely. Which is on the first album, Wild Horses, um, written by the Rolling Stones. We all know the song. Um, but it was actually recorded first by Graham Parsons, given to them by the Stones. It's uh-huh. crazy that the Stones were that prolific and great yeah. that they're like, yeah, you can have this song. Mm-hmm. Which is a fucking... It's probably one of the more popular songs. It's huge. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, yeah, good. You can have this one. That's we we one. got these other ones that we're working on. Yeah, uh, and then even most... Even, uh, the, you know, the Stones, they, they liked Southern music. They, you know, they recorded Let It Bleed, I believe, and, and, and mm-hmm. Muscle Shoals. So they were, they, were hip to, they were hip to Americana. But I think being friends with Graham really pushed... That, that portion sound, of it. That sounds. Yeah, you, they probably, you know, the br- these British dudes to them, it was exotic. Yeah. And, you know, country music was exotic to them. And, and you know, if back in the 60s, you don't have internet, you don't have all mm-hmm. this stuff, you just have the radio and then whatever your friends tell you. Obviously, they're the Rolling Stones, so they can get a little more deeper music than uh-huh. the average person, but still, it's pretty limited. You have someone like Graham Parsons who's just infatuated with the country music. And he's just bringing all his records over to while they were recording um, Exile Main Street <laughs> mm-hmm. in Paris. Um, he actually lived with uh, 
with them while they were recording the album. They, there's rumors that he's on some of the songs, singing in the background. Yeah. Um, it's not been substan- It's not been uh, proven where he is. Yeah. But it's a nice folklore. Mm-hmm. Uh, another nice little thing I like is that they he got uh, he got them to come out to Joshua Tree and you know trip trip balls out in the desert and just kind of. Yeah. Think about life for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Got them to relax, and and that was a kind of a favorite with him and uh, Keith Richards. Yeah. So Keith owed him back and said, "Come on out, stay out with me." But they became junkie friends at that point, and uh, quickly he just became sa- a sad guy at the house. Just like, get out of here. You're just passed out on the couch. Mm-hmm. We need to get our boy on the guitar here mm-hmm. playing some music, and you're just you're an influence here. You're a bad influence. So yeah. he was kicked out. Uh, there's a there's a story about Mick Jagger. Uh, Graham's high and just passed out on the ground. He has a show to go to, and Mick Jagger's slapping him in the face. And you, you have a show. You owe these people. They come to see you. Get out. Get your ass off. And go do your fucking job. This isn't just luxury time for you. Go do your job. Yeah. This Mick Jagger said that to Parsons. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and from what um, Keith Richards says, he says Mick was jealous of us because. Mm-hmm. It was a bond, another yeah, bond. This is my other boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so he was getting in his way, and Mick, Mick, Mick loves his, uh, his Keith. Yeah. Um, but also, when you're when that other friend's a junkie, and you're trying to help your other friend is junkie, mm-hmm. you've got to split these guys up. Yeah. Um, so there's, uh, again, a huge influence on the Rolling Stones, which is one of the bigger, biggest bands of uh, rock heard, history. You might have heard. You of might them. have heard of them. Mm-hmm. So he gets kicked out there, and he's ready to make. Album number two. He's getting clean. He's on methadone. Um, you know, trying to do the best that someone in, in the late or the early '70s can do when they're uh, hooked on heroin. Which you know, we know so much more now. Uh huh. And they knew a lot treatment. then, but still. A uh, funny little fun fact I liked about this is when he was trying to kick it. Uh, famous author William Burroughs was like, "Hey, try this. Uh, try this methadone, method. right? Uh, I don't know if it was methadone specifically, but it was like." Um, I'm sure he had his own little junkie, junkie remedy yeah, to like, how do you get off of this? Yeah, I was just um, reading that. You're right. And, and, and it, it didn't work. No. Because uh, he's not a fucking doctor, but he's a junkie. Yeah. And it might have worked. Um, William Barrow's trying to come through. Yeah. This is like the third or fourth time William Barrow's has been brought up on this podcast. I don't know why. I, I don't know if he was like, if pe- if musicians reach out to him. Or if he, he likes was definitely, to reach out to He was definitely involved with musicians. Yeah. I think Even that Kurt he just. Cobain, so. Yeah. People that uh, just had issues. Yeah, I, um, I've, I was heard something about or read something about the sort of camaraderie that writers and musicians and comedians have with each other yeah. is that they all, each of them, envy what the other person does. Absolutely. And then there's this sort of symbiosis between between the three of those people that you know writers will 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 make friends with musicians and comics will make friends with musicians and it's just kind of brothers and brothers in the arts of expression for sure um but yeah it's just kind of a cool cool little thing there yeah there's a nakedness in your creativity that you're all sharing even though it's a different way of doing it Mm -hmm. and i think you just have that bond uh yeah he he just always seems to be hovering around again also junkies a junkie, but if you want someone to help you with a problem, I want someone who's had that problem. Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't want the guy that's just read a book about the problem. Like, I read in here, if you change the tire, I want a guy that's changed the tire yeah. to show me how to change the tire. Mm-hmm. If a guy, if I'm having some kind of issue with drugs, I want a guy that's taken knows exactly what I'm feeling. And I think kind of William Barrows, good on him, yeah. knowing that 
he's not these, these assholes are not going to listen to some doctor. But no. if they respect me, maybe help them out. Yeah, maybe they'll give a little uh, a little respect. So yeah, I, I think um, we got we got Elvis's band. They've been preparing a little more. He's not a super. As we said, he just would come up with the songs right when he needed to at the end. So they're not rehearsing too much, but he's he's got a little more in his baggage for songs. Yeah. Um, and again, he can't help it. He loves music, so there's covers in here. Always, co- there's never just all originals. Uh-huh. He just um, wants to showcase his love for, for music. His music. Yeah. I, I don't think it was because of lack of necessarily lack of material. I think he just wanted to put together what, whatever whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah, and we can even when we get into the, we'll quickly go into his famous death after the album. Um, but his life was just going into bars, bringing his guitar, and just jumping in with the house band. And he did that on the last night of his life. Yep. Played with a strung out Joshua Tree cover band or whatever. He just loved playing music and it didn't have to be his music. Just music. Just music, man. Just uh-huh. music. And that's, that uh, might be what it's time for here. Music. Here on the podcast. Uh... Uh, we didn't mention this is the <laughs> this is, you know what podcast you listen to at this point never mind uh, we'll go into song number one uh, it's called Return of the Grievous Angel Graham Parsons won't scratch my itch sweet Annie Rich and welcome me back to town come out on your porch or step into your parlor and I'll tell you how it all went down with the truckers and the kickers and the cowboy angels and a good saloon in every single town oh and I remembered something you once told me and I'd be damned if it did not come true And I don't, I'm not one that like has to listen closely and be like, oh, did they fuck up at all? But it's like, it's perfect. It's perfect. It almost sounds like they just changed his voice to a girl, mm-hmm. lowered, you know, rose it up a little bit. It, yeah. Put an octave on it. Which so, is all you really need to do nowadays. Yeah, I know. But you, don't yeah, so, make, you don't have to make music anymore. So we just come out with pure Americana. Yeah. In the lyrics, too. He's singing about truck stops. He's singing about traveling across the country. That's what this song is. This is a traveling song. And country music's fucking very draped in songs about traveling. You know, just just uh, on the on the road again. Uh, because you know? you know, life is traveling. Even in your 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 age, you're uh-huh. getting older. You're, you're moving on. So there's always that aspect. And motherfuckers like to drive around in their trucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Definitely. interesting part with this with this story, it is uh, written by a poet, Thomas Stanley Brown, who he met in uh, Boston. Mm-hmm. Back in Harvard. Now, yeah. So there's a little confusion. 
he met he did he he knew him back in Harvard and then met him again at a bar called Oliver's on their 1973 tour uh-huh. right before this album um, and he he was a fan or, or an old friend and said I have a poem mm-hmm. you should make this into a song that takes balls yeah I can't imagine doing that being like hey you should write a song like this mm-hmm. and then, like I mean, unless you have that, that relationship with someone else that's true great. Yeah. that's true yeah so they this must be perfect for you they, 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 I think they were college friends or, or whatever I, and he's di- this guy's disappeared he's come back and then disappeared again so Thomas Stanley Brown the, you know you'll be remembered for this I don't know how your poetry life went but uh, you not only did you have a song called Return of the Grievous Angel but it's what he called the album so yeah uh-huh. your mark was was pretty huge yeah and um, Return of the Grievous Angel was a the name of a posthumously well, I guess this is posthumous but later later on a tribute album was, was called uh, Return of the Grievous Angel nice um, but yeah just just a straight up uh, country country um Sort of standard. Well, but the lyrics. This is definitely reads as a poem. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't, if you just shut off all the music and we just kind of went through this, it's it's a classic poem. It's pretty. It's got it's got the the across country and and coming from Boston, it's got that whole a man heading out west mm-hmm. that we all. If you grew up there, maybe people from the west now dream of going to the east i don't know Manifest but, but no matter what west has that allure yeah especially even 40 years ago it was a lot different where it was just this unknown hard living motherfuckers yeah um, but, but but freedom and, but, and uh, you know ultimately all the unknown freedom and just yeah. experience life it, mm-hmm. just get out of the the norm george and i were talking just about this before how Life can get not even stale, but you just always want adventure. There's something in that, and uh, I think that's why this song kind of Oops. hit him immediately. Yeah, it's still still going. No, I was going over the next one. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's about a guy who leaves, uh, heads out west to experience life, and then coming back, asking the girl that he left to have him back and listen to his story. Yeah, and she's probably like, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got a story for you. I'm yeah. married. <laughs> I have a kid. How was your experience? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know if she was angry. I, I like why. the uh, the news I could bring. Uh, <clears throat> the news I could bring. I met up with a king on his head of uh, an amphetamine, uh, amphetamine crown. He talked about unbuckling that old Bible belt and headed out for some desert town, out with the truckers and the kickers and the cowboy angels. A good salute in every t- every single town. Just very poetic, very nice, and uh, you know, just and not just lyrics alone, but the. He, instrumentally on this song it's just a it's already a beautiful song the piano here and uh and get the fiddle the, the going. lap steel and the, the pet the, the yeah the fiddle and it's like okay this is this is what this record's gonna be and yeah. it doesn't really it it's very much in this vein same instruments going the whole time yeah different sounds obviously different songs but you know maintains this this southern sound yeah definitely southern i the piano part um it might be coming up, and I hate when I do this because then it might not be. But it does the little like, and I remember twenty thousand rows. That part it does this little like. Oh no, sorry. No, I yeah, right. I, I I think I marked it on three oh seven. Um, all right, so jump yeah. to that in a second. Um, but even even already right here. Yep. Just jamming out in the back. Just kind of rising up. 
Billboards and truck stops pass by the grievous angels. I love uh, this line. Or a good saloon in every single town. Yeah. Like, no matter where you go, you might be unknown. But you can always, like... At the end of the day, home, I, I know where I can find for a some home. Of, for some of us, you don't have church, so you got a bar. And there's this comfort that you might not need to know anybody, mm-hmm. but it's just... There's a good uh, saloon. Ah, uh, my people. Uh, there's a nice... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, this is the part I wanted to play, too. The, the solos. Yeah. Electric guitar, fiddle... And then the pedals still just jumped off each other like that. Yeah, there's no break in between. And then right back. I love this line. Man on the radio won't leave me alone. Wants to take my money for something I've never been shown. Yeah. You don't need the middleman to give you money to, to touch God. You, you find him on your own. You don't need that. And, and 20,000 roads he went down, but it all leads right back to you. Yeah. I went out there. Cool times. I've seen a bunch of stuff. But his little piano adds in the third verse. Yeah. Picks it up. It's like every, every verse is just like something adds on. Something else different, yeah. you know? But still maintain like now it's a little fiddle heavy. Yeah, no, his songs never really look I shouldn't say this, some songs do change up. But this song steady drum beat. Here we go. Piano. Something you once told me. And I'll be damned if it did not come true. And then she jumps back in. Times their voices together are just perfect. Yeah. Great opening track to it's the Grievous Angel. Yeah. Um, Americana at its finest, traveling across the country. Absolutely. And it's gonna stay southern. It, yeah. It's gonna it's gonna stay country. And we're having a good time because soon it will get dark. Yeah. So once let's enjoy life. Let's go into uh, Hearts on Fire, number two. Song out so mellow the whole time. Yeah. 
Hearts on Fire by uh, written by Walter Egan and Tom Godera, which is Emmylou Harris's boyfriend. Yep. Uh, this is a love aftermath. Everything's falling apart. I was uh, I was bad for you. Yeah, just like the, there's the one line of God damn it. Commercial oh. break, everybody. <laughs> the uh, heart, you know, they lasted, their love lasted for a year. My love for you brought only misery, hearts on fire. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I skipped that part. Um, one short year, our love burned. Yes. Until last, I guess you learned the art of being untrue and then goodbye. Erin's feeling the creativity in her soul. Feel the creativity in your soul. Yep, we're trying to make money here. <laughs> Little things. Just trying to look at the lyrics. The goddamn internet's making me look real professional right now. Um, yeah, so, and again, song number two, Emmy Harris and, 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 uh, and Grant Parsons here. Uh, yeah. Just killing it. Yeah, and, and that heart's on fire, that the type of relationship that was pretty fucking electric, but just died so quick. And, you know, and probably intense, just passion. And then my love has turned to hatred. Something just switched. There's just, you enjoy, maybe you're enjoying things that you're not, or you're not looking at the things that you don't like, or, or it just builds up instead of getting that, dealing with those issues, just living in the moment. Which is something to be said for those relationships. There's, there's definitely beautiful, there's de- definitely beauty in having... Those, you know, those quick, quick little things. You yeah, know? it's not everything needs to be. Um, I think, I think some people live off that. They get once they realize that it's, uh, you know, it's almost like a drug for them. They, they want all they want is that beginning quick time. little cocaine, and then cocaine relationships. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's another addiction. Just want the the fresh sex, the yeah. fresh perspective. What I fucking heard this opinion already. I'm fucking tired of this Next. shit. I know what she's gonna order. God damn it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, just burns out quickly, but but at least they, you know, this is a passion song saying it was good while it lasted. But uh, you ripped my fucking heart out. Yeah. Uh, I like the line right here. Um, God, please take this heart of mine, because if you don't, the devil will. Hearts on fire. My love for you only brought misery. Hearts on fire. Put out the flames and set this cold heart free. Mm-hmm. <sighs> or the devil will. The devil will. Please Drugs. Yeah. Yeah. You keep me on the on on a path, and uh, the devil's gonna get me. And heavy. Uh, yeah. And heavy. The, the, the the my favorite thing underneath is the vibraphones. Mm-hmm. I couldn't really even find. I think it's Steve Snyder playing it, but I don't even know. I didn't really even say anything about that. But I. It's just it's very subtle. You wouldn't even notice unless someone kind of pointed it out to you, unless you were listening clearly. But uh, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I was gonna say go to 150 if you want to, or we could just move on. But it's just a great heartbreak song, and you know you're never gonna get sick of that duetting. No, it's just no. it's what makes this and whole album. She's really not even bouncing off of him, or not. She's not even she's singing along with him. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a very that's a very classic country thing to do is to sing together we're yeah. singing together here singing the same thing I, I could be out you can be out but we'll be it'll, the song's gonna stay the same yeah they're not doing Beach Boys kind of like layering harmonies or harmonies. Uh, or, 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 yeah just, just layering stuff and just 
she'll drop out when she needs to to take it down and then her pick it back up and yeah she definitely helps the songs kind of lift yeah definitely lift yeah. he'll he'll do, he'll be doing you know verses here's the 150 you're talking about Pretty. Very nice. Only Elvis's band could do that. Yummy. Or Al Green's or Otis Redding's. Mm-hmm. You know, just good, pimps. Good guys. <laughs> Real good bands. Um, great song. Yeah. So, but we'll quickly here go to. All right, that's a sad song. Let's let's don't forget, country's not all sad. Yeah. You know, here's a. I mean, although it's sad and sad lyrically, or. Uh, Kind of a uh, different kind of sad. It's it's almost a, a funny song. Yeah. It's a little humor in here. Yeah, a little self-deprecation. And yeah. this is a, a cover song. Mm-hmm. I Can't Dance. I Can't Dance. George knows all about it. Yep. skip this one <laughs> this uh this song at first listen always like it, it, i'm not sure if it's a uh, who exactly he's, he's emulating here but it, it's almost like a jim croce song and little uh, little elton, elton here too um it's kind of just a like a honky tonk standard 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 song yeah really nothing to the the lyrics i mean i a guy can't dance but he will do it for the girl mm-hmm. you know just to make her happy yeah get out there Great harmonizing. Yeah, this song, what it makes you want to do, though, is dance. It is. It's uh, a dancey tune. It's the first one on the record that'll make you make you want to dance. And it might be one of the only ones. Yeah. Maybe Ooh Las Vegas later on, but that's mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, just wanted to pick it up. Great, great backline. The bass. Nice bass line's gone. Yeah, it's got totally. a great thump to it. But yeah, you could just... this. This is the kind of song you could put lyrics over this, anything. It's just got that... As long as you got that melody going on, you're good. Go to uh, 105. I know we just heard it, but there's, there's a nice little electric breakdown. This is like dance hall, d- d- dance hall country. Yeah. Yeah. Who? Keep it from that, man, man, 
Good job, and just a, a nice break before we get into, which I think George and I have agreed, are the sad, <laughs> that I don't know what why George and I tend to like these, but here we're going into the two saddest songs, but my two favorite, and I think two is best of all time. Yeah, yeah, if, and this two best of all time, definitely his saddest songs yeah. of all time. And... and so some hope, of the hope best. you're feeling, hope this song's getting you up because uh, it's about to, Graham's about to take you, take you a little, little lower, a little melancholy. Let's go into it. Brass Buttons, one of the best. on the guitar they might be the perfect yeah they're like the perfect guitar lines for what the song is talking about how sad it is right yeah. there those splashes his voice right here that melody lifting up I love it. it's almost like it's a weirdly like it's a weirdly like bossa nova kind of country sound where it's it's, it's not you know yeah, it's loungy. Yeah, but yeah, you could see him not playing a guitar or anything, and just kind of like walking around the stage, and maybe like leaning against the piano. I'm <laughs> just looking down. But yeah, so this song is very sad. Uh, originally written in 1965. Yeah, it's an oldie. You know when he wrote it? After his mom died. Yeah. This is a uh, a lament to a drunk mother. And yes. I mean, it's his, it's his love song to his mom. And, yeah, just that thought alone is brutal. Um, and just I mean, just the words. And it's so simple. It's not the thanks for raising me. He's talking to just about her as a woman. You know, and it's almost sounds, it could be a girlfriend. This is someone who's passed away. Warm buttons, green silks, and silver shoes. Just women's clothes lying around. Um, warm, e- warm evenings, pale mornings, bottle of blues. You know her, her drunken nights. Probably saw her dancing, loving life. Saw her mom, his mom happy, even if she was drunk and, and woke up in the morning. Different story. Yeah, probably angry and. Um, my thoughts known only by the few. Uh, it was a dream, much too real, to be long against too long. All time, I think she knew. Um, 
And then he has a devastating uh, line later on. When the sun comes up without her, it just doesn't know she's gone. And the way he sings it, too, it's just... Uh, yeah, it's really... It's brutal. If, if you're thinking about your mom, I mean, this is a perfect... <laughs> I love that he's he, there. He's like personifying his mom's comb. Yeah, and like his this comb has one job, and it's to brush your brush your mom's hair. You know, the, the comb will never comb her hair again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's that weird stillness when someone dies. All their everything that's left behind. It still there. It's like there was a ghost here, and it does nothing is being moved anymore. It's like like all the inanimate objects died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The dress you look at, there was a body in there that talked and laughed and moved around, and now it's just in the closet forever, probably be thrown away. Or Yeah, uh, between this one and the next one, Thousand Dollar Wedding, um, I think just like lyrically his strongest, just strongest tunes, yeah. you know, considering it's a, this is a, an original one, um, just very little like you said it's not you know it's not about oh thanks for raising me it's a little vignette into her a little thing that he decided to yeah. you know write about his mom about and like uh, appreciation for her being a woman not mm-hmm. so much the mom yeah just the woman that was alive and and she had her probably he's old enough to think at this point well my mom's a woman yeah. she had her own problems and she had her shit yeah but and she, I got my shit going on yeah. too and I it's probably from uh a lot coming from her, and, and not in a blaming way. He's not. This isn't angry. We, but we are who we are, you know. And then the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, many times. Um, but yeah, here already just the guitars. Yeah, Al Perkins did. Is it skipping? Yeah, it's. it's we're doing it off the off the web, uh, off the Al, internets. Al Perkins just did not hold back, or, or James Burton too. Um, he did a lot of the guitar leads. They're just... It's about as much respect you can give as a musician to a song. Mm-hmm. Like, they listen to this and, like, we're going to give a, yeah. the best hit. Yeah, There's absolutely. no overplaying again. Just little, beautiful guitar lines. Um, oof. It's brutal. Yeah. But we'll, uh, we'll, keep it, we'll keep it brutal because... Uh, okay, so now we are... But again, the- Bru- when I listen to it, I'm not like... Ugh. <sighs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like, God damn, this is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. All right, the next one we're going to here is Thousand Dollar Wedding.
that uh, great. I think that was what we started the whole podcast with that 30 second piano intro. So dope. Just kind of thrown in nowhere. And then it's got the acoustic just playing the chords, but they, they recorded so well that you, got, you can hear the, uh, the pick just like mm-hmm. scraping down the, the strings. And then it just kicks right into the song. And, and the song sounds really slow, but it picks up soon. Actually, it's got another verse. And that's where Emily Lou jumps in. Um, oh, yeah. When she comes in, it's like... Yeah, so it, it, it does pick up a little bit, and then it drops down to, like, the bare minimum when he says uh, there's supposed to be a funeral. It's been a bad, bad day. So a $1,000 wedding, it's basically a man who's been stood up at the altar yep. by the bride. Um, and then he was the he's sort of uh, sort of the naive one. You, you know, every, he's the, the line uh, the line at the beginning. Uh, <coughs> it was a thousand dollar wedding supposed to be held the other day, and with all the invitations sent, the young bride went away. When the groom saw people passing notes, not unusual, he might say. But where are the flowers for my baby? Uh, he's like he's kind of completely naive to the situation going on when everybody else seems to know. I, I think anyone would be. There's no way you're like she's this not coming. Is me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody else knows. Yeah, and she's not coming, and I'm standing here like a douche. Yeah, yeah. And, and this, why ain't there a funeral for gonna act that way? Yeah. Why is everyone all being all sad here? Yeah. What's going on? Uh huh. Like I'm just marrying her. Yeah. Not killing her. She's not this dead. Oh wait, what? He'd even wouldn't mind seeing his, her mean old mama. Yeah. Uh, once he figures out what's going on, he takes his friends out drinking, and it's uh, lucky that they survived. Uh, a man who's just not accepting that this is uh, kind of happening in his life. So instead of taking it in, just go out and party, right? No big deal. Yeah, she left. I'm with my boys. Um, this song was originally nine minutes long. And it was written for the uh, Burrito Brothers, mm-hmm. but it was rejected, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's it, just like country music, and I guess music in general, but country music does it as well a lot. Is is a, a story? Yeah, you know, telling like, telling a story of, of of this, and I think what happens in the in this uh, about the middle of the song here is that it does become a funeral, and it's he's kind of making it seem like. Heartbreak and death are the same thing. They may as well be, you know. It's a funeral or or, or I'm getting my heart broken. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Because the line there, he's got the Reverend, um, the Reverend Doctor William Grace was talking to the crowd about the sweet child's holy face and the saints sing out, and he swore the fiercest, fiercest, fiercest beast could all be put to sleep the same silly way. Death. And where are the flowers for the girl? She would only, uh, she only knew she loved the world. Um, it sounds like it's an actual actual funeral going on. Yeah, it's know? a good way to yeah, good way to put it that it being left like that feels just like someone dying. May as well be, yeah. you know. Um, it's got a lot of chimes in there too. Yeah, coming in right on like with the bass kick. There's always like a chime k- kicking in. I like how it brings it back up. You know, brings it up for a little bit. Comes really mellow. Where it's pretty much Graham and a piano singing mm-hmm. for a little bit. Um, so great storytelling and great arrangement overall. Um, on the nine-minute version, and maybe this, maybe what you're saying, you're getting the abridged version because the original version is she does die. Yeah. So he just cut out the the middle part of the story, and now we're at her funeral. Uh huh. 
Yeah, so if they have she the, left I mean, and the song itself is a uh, you know five minute song. Yeah. So there's a little little cut, portion cut it a little shorter. Uh, but it tells it tells another sad sad story here. Yeah. And just that his voice just sounds so sad. But and he, he takes on that character really well. Sounds like the guy mm-hmm. who's been left at the altar. Mm-hmm. It's like I hate telling this story, but uh, wife left me, and uh, here here's a song about it. <laughs> we'll play yeah. we'll play I can't dance right after, folks. Said thousand uh, dollar wedding was about uh, cheap Par- wedding. Parsons aborted plan to wed the mother of his daughter in ostentatious style had been recorded in a plotting arrangement with the with like you said the flying burrito brothers um, and yeah just a, a wedding that didn't work out thousand dollar wedding I like Maybe that should have paid a little bit more money when I had it yeah <laughs> um, especially if you get fifty five thousand dollars a year yeah yeah come on put a little bit more money in there. Uh, thus ends side one of uh, of Grievous Angel, and ends ends it there with, with two bangers. Yeah. Uh, so we're about five songs in, we're five songs in now, and then we flip over the record here, and we do uh, medley live from Northern Quebec. A, cash on a barrel head, and uh, B, Hickory Wind. It's it's one song. Yeah, yeah, we'll just we'll tell you. It's a medley. You know, you know what medleys are. Here we go. That's the first half of this medley. Um, live from northern Quebec, everyone. Hint, hint, uh, cash on the barrel head. I, uh, I, uh, for a while, I had no idea that this was a fake. This fake is, live. This is uh, 1960, late 60s, or early 70s production magic. <laughs> Fucking with you. I don't know if they're being, you know, if they're doing Benny and the Jets type of shit here, where they're just... This is trippy to have like let's just put a fake crowd in and have uh-huh. our friends cheering along. Are they making fun of like this is what we wish we could have? Is these crowds are like oh my god, here are these songs playing, uh, or just having fun? Just let's let's make it sound like we we have a cut from one of our shows. Yeah, so we're back here. We're back um, with it being here. We go. We're having fun again. Yeah, we're back you to know. I can't dance. Uh huh. Um, and it soon it, right away it drops out. Mm-hmm. Down into Hickory Wind. So here's here's the part Charlie was talking about where is the. Thank you very much. 
Thank you. Thank you. Here's an old song from long time back. Come on back. This is draw. The glass breaks. Ready? <laughs> um, and we'll be we're doing this. Uh, oh no, sorry, it's not. But we're doing uh, we're doing this record in conjunction with uh, with Father John Misty, and it's not on Fear Fund the album we're doing. But he does do. He does, we're doing those two because there's similarities in between the two, and uh, yeah, just a nice little nice little uh, uh, production value there. Yeah. <laughs> Just wanting to pretend that he's in a live setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first song, Cash in the Barrelhead, is a Leuven Brothers uh, song that was huge influence on him. Um, the basic premise of the song is immediate payment is demanded. Uh, they used to use barrel types as uh, tables and bars, and you'd have to pay for the drink immediately instead of, you know, put that on my tab. It was like, no, just no. we don't trust you. Yeah. Pay immediately. Great honky tonk shuffle. Um, it's just a guy unable to pay for a call and bus fare. Just a guy who's just kind of in trouble and probably just wants to get drunk. And I'm sure uh, Graham could. Uh, he never had a problem with the money, but uh, yeah, I think he just liked the, the like you said, the the, the shuffle, the kind of upbeat honky tonk shuffle to bring it back down instead of just two mellow songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hickory Wind is one of his classics. Um, he wrote this in 1968 um, with Bob Cannon when they were coming out from Florida to L.A. They wrote, wrote it on a train. Of course, they wrote it on a goddamn train. Yeah. And here's another one, as far as I'm concerned, just lyrically, lyrically a great, a great tune here. Yeah. Um, you know, po- poetic. It's childhood nostalgia. Bittersweet nostalgia. Um, you know, he's talking about the childhood simple pleasures, climbing trees, um, and it's it's just kind of a. It goes into him going on to pursue fame. Um, Great and piano, not, yeah. And just not, you know, looking back on maybe what he's missing, loss of innocence. Um, the only way to, to really miss what you got is by leaving it and you know going for the the fame and the fortune and not not at all it's cracked out to be yeah this song is uh was actually like you were saying earlier about uh emily harris sort of taking on or carrying on the legacy of, uh, of graham parsons hickory wren became a staple mm. uh for her for her you know she's probably the more popular one to sing the song um or to popularize it but just beautiful hickory wind you know that's back home yeah the hickory trees down in the south go um, back home even though there was a lot of darkness back home and obviously his parents and bad bad illness there he he still would go back home and you you know it's just it's different when you go back as a man to your childhood but still it's that it's still that you're looking for home He's still looking for home. Yeah. He's, maybe he can't, doesn't have home anymore. Yeah. I mean, that, that's part of his thing is he was always looking for male role models to look up to. Um, Chris Hillman says this is his signature song. Yeah. He gives it, Hickory Wind is the one that he'll be remembered by. And I think it's just because it's that nostalgic loss of innocence. Um, great lap steel again. Piano, fiddle. 
They got a great solo in there. There's the fake cheering. And I kind of like that little break. Like At first, I was weirded out by it, but... It's a nice break right. from what you just we were just having just landed with two really heavy songs. Yeah, and medleys medleys are, are, are another thing that that, that country music will want to do is yeah. let's play four songs in one, you know. Yeah. And and I like that he did do an upper and a downer, um, you know, upper and downer like up tempo and, and down tempo or slow tempo, slower tempo. Um, yeah, it's great. Got got a got a little bit of both. Yeah. Brings it up, brings it down, because we are gonna go into kind of another down, up, down uh, for the last, the last run, the last three songs. So he throws that in there, kind of makes you feel like this is, you know, maybe he wants you to feel like if you come to our show, this is kind of what you're gonna get. Yeah. Well, you're gonna you get a little, this. little dancing, and then you're gonna break it down, and we're gonna get a little uh, wax the poetic nostalgic. Um, but then they go to probably their biggest song. As Emmylou Harris and Graham Parsons together is a cover song, and everyone knows it. You know the cover songs. You know uh, Nazareth's 1975 version. That's probably the biggest one. Yeah. Uh, let's go into it. Love Hurts. Just underneath them the whole time. Yeah, and this probably is their, like I said, most famous, but their best duet. They just, I don't know what was, I, we know that Graham was going through a divorce. We don't know Emily Lou Harris, how well her relationship was going on, but they do a good job selling this song. Yeah. I, I, the Nazareth version, it's okay. It's a, pa it's a ballad, it's a power ballad. Yeah. You know? uh, it was originally recorded for the Everly Brothers by Felice and Bordal Bryant, who wrote songs for Bye Bye Love, Wake Up Little Susie. So they, they knew how to write some songs, and this is obviously another one of them. Roy Orbison did it before, too. Mm -hmm. But this is the dynamic duet right here. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a very straight up rap Why Love Hurts. Yeah. You know? Some fools rave of happiness. When you, you feel like that. When, yeah. you're, when you're broken, you're like, oh, listen to these fucking people. Yeah. Tell me all about love. I'm not a fool. I'm not going down that route. No, I'm not going to fall in love again. Never. 
just uh, yeah they're this epic combination here between the two they can be singing about you know killing puppies in a pretty way the way they're doing it and but it's just so goddamn pretty yeah yeah, there's really nothing. There's a nice little solo at the end, and it goes. Is it? Are we at the three minute mark? Let's just do it from here. Play it out. Las Vegas, number eight. This is my. This is one of my favorites off the album. Yeah, I really like the song. It's just a good time. Yeah, you know, it, it's a Viva Las Vegas song. It's it's, uh, you know, adventurous and bright eyes. We're gonna have some fun. You know? Yeah, we're gonna, get, we're gonna have a good time. And there's that. There's definitely that feeling in Vegas. You, you, I don't know. Maybe the older you get, the more you're like, well, whatever. But there's still, when you go there every once in a while, you're like, hell yeah, let's do Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. You never know. It could be a really fun fun time for a week, and then in the, the middle of the day, you're all just like. Sucks. It's a 48-hour max city. As far as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, Two 48 days. hours. You gotta get out. You gotta get out. Even even by hour uh, 46, 47, 48, you're like two Ugh. nights. Two nights. Two nights. Yeah. 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 One night where you can you know really lose it. Second night you want to have a good time and and then maybe have some yeah a night great dinner and maybe go see a show. But uh, but it's, it's 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 a lot of fun. Uh, contra- or consolidated within a, a very short yeah. period of time. Yeah, because there really is no nighttime. There is no, no day. So you're just, they confuse you with, you don't know what time it is. They got the oxygen pumping in. Mm-hmm. And then right when you do want to leave, you're like, let's get another drink just yeah. uh, before we go. And then you're, it's six o'clock long. at night and then Sunday and you're like, we got to get home. Everyone. Yeah, it's called Sin City for a reason. And uh, I mean, Vegas, I met my, my lady there. Yeah. I mean, it would have never thought Vegas would be the place. Uh, it's it's just got a weird, it's a myster- mysterious place out there. It's where adults, it's it's like a giant adult playground. Yeah, you know, and 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 every every new generation or older generation can be like when I went, 
it was, was not like the same. Yeah, because like, I I feel the same way. I'm like ah, it's like it's almost like a theme park now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's an adult theme park. Yeah, it's always been. Yeah, yeah. And then you go to the shitty, you go to the old Vegas, and you you look at it, and you're like, this is dope. And then also, it's kind of dirty, and yeah. that's how it was probably back in the yeah. day. Well, the last time I went to Vegas, it was ve- I, it was the first time I went to what's it called? Not Fulton Street, um, old Vegas. I yeah, what's yeah the, I can't remember with the lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it's like almost canopy thing, um, Fremont Street. Yep, uh, Fremont Street. Yeah, it uh, it was like, oh, this is really cool. It's 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 old Vegas. It's nostalgic Vegas. You know, it's not. Uh, everything's glass and, and shiny. It's it's a still little, smells it's like car- smoke yeah, inside, character, like character. that old school, like the carpet still got that stench. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like you. I, and I love that feeling. I like like transporting to another time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New Vegas is just. Yeah, well, Bright you know what it is. You can't like right, run across the street. I know. You have to like so. walk way down to cross, and, and, and I get it because probably tons of people are getting killed that's drunk. 100%, that's one hundred percent why. I understand, but it's just there's something. You're just you're constricted now. It's not like a free running place, even though it absolutely is at the same time. Anyways, I can't imagine what it was like in 1972, yeah. three. Yeah. Um, and he's got a love hate. He's got a love. Th- I think the lyrics. Well, first of all, this song was written by him and Rick Grach, a friend of his, who's an Englishman. Uh, it was rejected from GP, their first album. And the reason was they didn't think an Englishman could write a country song. <laughs> and they did. They're just like, nah, whatever you got, it's not going to be that good. And he wrote a great one. Um, well, the Queen of Spain's is a friend of mine. The Queen of Hearts is a bitch. Someday when I clean up my mind, I'll find out which is which. Yeah. <laughs> it's the guy's like, I would, like, I've done the same thing. You go to Vegas, and it's like, all right, let's go play blackjack. You're like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, no. here goes my money. I'm having fun losing it. Oh, the first time I lose, I drink whiskey. The second time yeah. I lose, I drink gin. The yeah. third time I lose, I drink anything because I think I'm going to win. Uh-huh. It's a great line. Yeah, absolutely. That that drink kicks in, and all of a sudden, you're, power, you're Superman, and yeah. you, uh, I, I'm going to win this one. I've been losing too long. I, I have to I'm win. I'm due. I'm due. Yeah. <laughs> God wouldn't do this to me. The last time I went to Vegas, uh, our friend Brian Duckworth was dropping hundred dollar bills on uh, roulette. Yeah. We're doing one hundred dollars at a time on roulette. All right, let's do hundred black. Yeah. And I've done this once before, but he was doing it consistently in a row. He lost probably five hundred dollars in a row. And then it was just like, all right, dude, I have to do red because it's going to be red. It's been five blacks in a row. It has to be red. Uh, and it just made me nervous. Like, it just it filled me with anxiety. Yeah. And you constantly, that's the thing when people leave. It, the house always wins. And, uh, and you know, sometimes you get lucky and make you think, okay, you know, yeah. I'm out, it's my turn. It's my turn. And that's, that's sort of the, or that is 100% the allure and, and attraction of Las Vegas is like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to be a winner. Yep. Yeah, I got I got my little things that I uh, like to get into, but gambling was never one for me. I just I don't I, I like doing it, going there, but I don't have that like I need to keep going and spend yeah. more. I just don't have it. Yeah. Um, and the the one other I mean this is the third verse. Georgia, the second one to the first one. The third one's great too. I spent all night with the dealer trying to get ahead, as Georgia was just saying. Mm-hmm. Spend all night the holiday in trying to get out of bed. That's Vegas. That's it right there. Yeah. It's four lines. Go home at six thirty in the morning. What the fuck did I do? Yeah. <laughs> I feel terrible, and I just gave away so much money. Yeah, but, but it's beautiful. Yeah, and the ooh, the ooing with Emmy Lou. It goes on like Vegas. almost a little too long. It's so good. It's so good. It, every time it's like it should be like ooh. But Las that ooh, Vegas. it's the ooh's ooh. That we just 
You just oohed out of control. The ooh is Sorry, it's, it's almost like a enticing, like ooh, but it's yeah. also like, oh, don't go there. Uh-huh. Don't do it. Don't you fucking do it again. Um, ain't no place for a poor boy like me, but we know he's not poor. Yeah. Come on, dude. But a poor boy like him, as far as drugs, drinking, and I'm just going to lose my shit there. Yeah. And I am. You know I'm getting money. I'm going to give you so much because I have it a lot. Yeah. Enjoy. Um, just great. I put this as a, one of the great standards of the up-tempo country songs. Mm-hmm. And great playing in the background. The bass line is great. Um, what, was, what were we doing at the beginning? Oh, yeah. The, the, was it the intro? Yeah. There's, so, a, there's a little a... bass. You'll hear this bass line. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Go to 155. There's another, a couple of other good playing parts. That's that honky-tonk guitar tone, you know? Drums are killing it too. Yeah, yeah. They let the drummer go out there. Yeah. And then 253, if you're already near there, but there's a nice little outro. first one kind of oh they're still going the first solo was kind of jumping and really like anxiety and just riding with that wave that one just kind of laid back and just sliding over just kind of dealing with it like oh we're here great great song uh nice to pick up after love hurts after a kind of brutal tune Mm -hmm. and let's go go right into another brutal one the final song this is church here and the last song Mm -hmm. he recorded in his life Mm -hmm. in my hour of darkness Co-written by Emmylou Harris. Here we go. Graham, but he, I mean, religious 
I don't think if you grew up in the South in the 60s you could be, but huge. He's going out with a church hymn, a gospel. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Uh, someone put it as the gospel plea in the darkest moment. And this is actually, uh, each verse is dedicated to three of his friends. I, 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 I'm, I agree with that. There's He had a couple friends that just died. One we'll get into. Uh, so Brendan Wild, Clarence White, Sid Kaiser. All kind of father figures to them, you know. Just many looked up to. But this part right here. The simple a guy who played the guitar, simple songs he sang, and the music that he had in them, many few possessed. I, I mean, that could be about him, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. About his friend or him. Well, yeah, the, uh, what was the name of the guy? Brandon DeBoer? Uh, Brandon DeWild? Brandon DeWild. He was like an actor, um, actor friend of his who was actually, he met around in, uh, during the time of the International Submarine Band, and he, um, they, they befriended each other, and he says that, or, or maybe it was Chris uh, Hillman was saying that the only person that he ever duetted with or vibed with musically was this Brandon guy. Mm-hmm. That the only person, you know, that he had more of a deep connection His with friend. singing was this, oh, this guy, was him. Yeah, uh, yeah, with, uh, singing was. That uh, that connection with them. He's the only other person was, was this Brandon guy, um, and he died in a car crash in uh, in Colorado, which is that line. Who thought that Who thought that they'd ever build such a deadly Denver bend to be so strong and last uh, so long as it as it would till the end? So that's a, that's the Brandon verse there. Yep. Um, Once I knew a young man driving through the white through the night, miles and miles without a word, but just his high beam lights. Like so. that line. Yeah. That's a great one. Uh-huh. Miles and miles without a word, but just his high beam lights, just not talking, but just uh, zoning on, out music. On his own. Yeah. Um, and so churchy. Just, it never picks up. It never drops out. It like, just, like hymns do. Yeah. You have one verse, two verse, three verses. Just keep it going. Yeah. Um, and, and co-written, I don't know what Emmy Lou Harris contributed, what lines... But she gets credit for that. That's her first co-written song with him, and obviously the last. Crazy that that's the last song ever recorded by him in my hour of darkness. Yeah, almost I mean, too fitting. I mean, his last. This is the last thing he said on, on a record is "Lord, grant me speed." Mm-hmm. Godspeed. Fitting. Uh, you got Linda Ronstadt singing background with uh, Emily Harris. Yeah. So you got some two ladies. That's where they're. That's where he sounds even more churchy because it's like a little. Little mini chorus here yeah. singing. Yeah. Um, this is all live. They, I think uh, Emmy Lou said two takes on this. This mm-hmm. is the one that, that quote I said earlier where he didn't have it finished until they're like grammar time, time to go. This, yeah. And he finished up whatever lines he did. Um, and it's, I mean, the, the playing again, you got the fiddle back there. All great, but it's just the vocals yeah. and just the story that just really make the song. And the piano actually too. I think one minute in, there's a nice little panel part. Um, there's one minute. Simple. 
church. Church. Hymnal. It's hard not to sing along to this. <laughs> yeah, you can see this playing on the church, and it would it would be a banger on a church. Yeah, the song would kill a church. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just very fitting for the legacy of Grant Parsons. I mean, he died without even seeing this album being released. You know. Um, and there we go into quickly into death while we sit while we talk over in my hour of darkness. Uh, the album was finishing up, and as he loved to do, he'd get away on weekends to go to Joshua Tree. Yeah. He didn't go, um, he went with a couple of friends, some well, friends, there were know, a couple that didn't really care for him because he was pretty back, he was back into drugs and they just thought he was a shady character. Yeah. So they stayed at the Joshua Inn Hotel, room number eight, I believe. Um, and during the day, they went out. He, they went out for lunch, and he was just already pounding drinks. And even some of the people, uh, some of the friends, were just like, "No, I don't feel like doing this." You know, he's getting wasted and not in the mood. Ended up going to see a movie, uh, uh, drive, a drive-through. Saw that. Went out to a bar. He jumped on stage, played with some. Uh, I think that's what I was talking about earlier. Jumped on. Um, he. On a jukebox, they, he found his first record in there and was just like giddy as a little boy, yeah. playing it over and over again. And like, this is my song. Yeah. Like, I did this. So I, that's kind of cool hearing that, that he, he was just, even though he was getting wasted, and, I don't know, that's not always a bad thing. Uh, he was just enjoying his, his night. And of course, then they come out the words, let's do heroin. Actually, uh, morphine. Well, yeah, he said heroin, but yeah. they didn't get heroin. Yeah. But he was, you know, you're in that. Gives a shit. Finished the album. Um, I'm in a good mood. Let's just party. And he was off drugs for a while, so he thought he could do what he was doing before. He went back to the hotel. They got they got morphine. Uh, did a did a hit each. Um, Gretchen thought she did enough. Um, and he wanted one more. He said, "Give me one more," and that was just the uh, the oh, deal so. breaker. Officially, on the on the autopsy report, they said he died from like alcohol. They said the amount of morphine in there was, wasn't that much to kill someone. Uh, so it was a mix. He was taking pills too that day. So you day drink all day, take morphine, and you've also had a body that's been doing this for years and years. Actually, the complete opposite of what you said. Uh, at least that's what I, what I got, is the amount of morphine consumed by Parsons would be lethal to three regular users, and thus he had likely overestimated his tolerance considering his experience with the opiates. Well, it's, and I, I don't know, is that wiki? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, it says it says the complete opposite, so well, that's weird. Not. Okay. Yeah. I, either way, he, it, the yeah. drugs uh, killed him. Yeah. The wrong drug. Yeah, and, and he probably could have handled it if, if he wasn't, he was doing the amount he probably did before, mm-hmm. and that's when, you know, for same thing happened with uh, Neil Patrick. No Patrick, <laughs> um, what's Doc. his name? Uh, Calling him out. No, not Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Um, same thing happened with him. Just and, like, and you know, uh, you people out there that like to drink, when, when you're been day drinking, your judgment at the end of the night. Yeah. Whatever is being shown, whatever is being shown, you're not like I don't know about that. You're you're pretty much open to anything, and if you're especially a drug addict, yeah. Once once the drug's there, it's over. Um, and then there's all controversy about 
the girls didn't know what to do and they were worried they should have called the cops right away the ambulance and they tried to they were worried about them getting in trouble so they didn't call for like a half hour 45 minutes anyways Grant Parsons passed away uh, on September 19th 1973 and it doesn't end just yet the the most famous story of what he's known as is yeah. the, the man whose coffin was stolen from LAX mm-hmm. by uh, Kaufman Philip Kaufman um, yeah, and, 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 a, and a buddy of his, because it was it was part. They were what they were gonna do was it was excuse me it was at, at LAX so that that his body can be buried in Louisiana, uh, New Orleans with his family and all that stuff. Uh, but his friends knew better for him. They, they they knew that he wanted to be cremated over at uh, over at his favorite place in the world, Joshua Tree. Yeah, Sybil Sid Kaiser, the guy that he writes about in the song. Mm-hmm. They went to his funeral right before the album, and they had a. He leaned over to Philip Coppin and said, "I don't, you know, everyone was being, was crying and was being over dramatic." He said, "I don't want to go like this." Yeah. When I, if one of us die, bring us up to Joshua Tree. And then people later on said that night they were all drinking and they're like, "Hey, everyone, if one of us die, promise the other one." You know, this, this so this. Yeah, little one of those dr- drunk, folk, drunk, pl- drunk yeah. packs. These guys <laughs> took yeah. it, took it serious. Yeah. Uh, they didn't think he wanted to go back to his straight and boring family yeah. back home i mean it's very fitting with and then they took it back to cap rock and, but, but uh, first of all to, yeah. to do that i, I know is we act like the 70s were like the 1800s but yeah. to go uh hold on and they literally oh you they came in another hearse and said you have the wrong he's supposed to be going to van nuys airport yeah so they don't have papers or anything uh-huh. and, <laughs> and then there's another story which this guy philip coffin apparently he loves the I mean, this is his story, so yeah. he's going to liven it up. Uh-huh. He said uh, a cop, cop showed up, and instead of freaking out, he said, can you guys help me load this uh, coffin into the, the car? And they're like, okay, like, this guy has enough confidence. Yeah, yeah, to he, ask he us did, for he it. He didn't freak out. Yeah. However that worked, because nowadays that just would not fly. The, the reason it wouldn't fly is because people like in the 70s did shit like that. Yes, no, that's why every, you know. There's I, rules you see, in place for a reason. You see all the memes nowadays on Facebook, like, back in the day, we didn't have to do, we didn't have to wear helmets because no. our parents loved us or whatever bullshit. Yeah. It's like, no, because fucking tons of kids died or yeah. stupid shit like this guy uh-huh. stole no, we a we need body. paperwork. Yeah, we need yeah. To, yeah, there's a lot of bureaucracy now because this guy's at stale bodies. Yeah. They're friends' bodies. And what's hilarious is that, you know, a couple days later they were arrested. And there was no law specifically saying you Nothing. couldn't steal a dead body. No, they got in charge for stealing the coffin. Yeah, they had to pay for the coffin. Oh, so they bring it out. Seven hundred fifty so bucks. Or they whatever. bring it out there. They open uh-huh. it up, and they just they, they bought beers. Of course, mm-hmm. they're getting drunk. Uh, bought some gasoline. Opened up his casket uh, out near. Uh, I forget the name of it. Joshua Rock or Cap Rock. Cap Rock. Yeah. And right, if you go there now, there's like a little always be a memorial. Yeah. Um, and they did it sloppily, and they just poured gasoline over them and just threw a match. Idiot in there. friends. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they they got gruesome, and they saw his flesh burning off, and obviously they they knew that they did enough where mm-hmm. that this this would probably do the job. It didn't. There was about a third of them still left when the fire went out. <laughs> Thirty-five pounds. Um, it's that Louis C.K. joke, like. Who gives a shit? Yeah. I'm dead. Piss on me and fuck me if you yeah. want. Whatever. My but, body, I don't care. But still, for the family, that's mm-hmm. devastating. You know, they're they're expecting their 
son to come home and he's half charred now. Well, it was kind of nice because they did get to they did get to have the actual funeral with the rest of his body back in Louisiana. So, so everyone best, got both. Exactly, best of both worlds. Graham really got probably what he actually wanted. I agree. Um, this half it's of Graham. It's very fitting that that this is what happened. Half of Graham is spread out in the desert where uh-huh. he wanted to be, and I, I agree. I, I'm. It's a bunch of drunk. You know, they look at his drunk, junky friends that weren't his friends doing yeah. it. But I don't know. To actually go out of your way to do that, yeah. there's got to be some love. There. Absolutely, it wasn't like oh, his grand parsons. Like, I kind of knew that guy. Let's yeah. do that. Like no. this guy fucking wanted this. He I'm looked, he looked me in the eye and he said, "If I fucking die, mm-hmm. you take. I don't care how yeah. you do." Yeah, um, absolutely. And it just one other, uh, not one other. That's a sh- he's. That's rock star legend. Right Absolutely. There. That's huge. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, and then they, they drove off, and they only got charged with, they had to pay $700 for the coffin, mm-hmm. then $300 fine, did you say, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, no, so that, that, that was it. That was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So Worth it. The, worth it. <laughs> worth they it. probably gave each other five, he wrote yeah. books about it, yeah. and it, it just added on to the legend that is Graham Parsons. Um, so... If you want to go to Joshua Tree, I'm sure there's... I actually haven't been there. I do want to check it out. I've been to Joshua Tree, and I've done some good times out there, but I've actually never been to uh, the the hotel that he died at or... Um, the Rock. The Camp Rock. Rock. So I, I want to check that out sometime. Yeah. Um, and definitely go check out uh, Flying Burrito Brothers. Go check out International Submarine Band. Check out Emmylou Harris. Um... The Birds, Sweetheart at the, the Birds, rodeo. yeah. Uh, yeah, Sweetheart at the Rodeo. I mean, Graham Parsons, he is, he's one of those sort of hidden gems uh, in, in music history. And I mean, he's getting bigger in our kind of music-loving hipster, you know, generation now. Yeah. But uh, for the masses, he's definitely still an unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, go back, listen to George Jones, Merrill Haggard, Conway Twitter. I mean, just Twitter. Twitty. Twitty. <laughs> I can't not, not say Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, just give uh, country music another uh... Buck Owens, Marty Marty Robbins is one of my favorite dudes from like the from the from the older days of, of country music. Just storytelling, great singing, and, uh, and 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 good. Don't say you hate country music if you haven't given it a shot. Not everything's you know. I was Toby Keith and and and, Ken, yeah. and Kenny Chesney, and that stuff's pretty great too. You know, I I get a lot of the stuff's cheesy and it's not. You know, but this is American rock music. This is American roots music. You yeah. know, this is, and you know, this is the weekend of Fourth of July, so it's only fitting that we do uh, some goddamn and, American. And, and this, con- this podcast was once again sponsored by America Beer. Always the taste of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, just check this, check all this stuff out because there is great. There's, there's a lot of heart it's it's heartfelt yeah no matter what you won't get fake music you won't get fake with country a lot of most of the time you won't get bullshitters you yeah. know because bullshitters weren't weren't around and I don't weren't know to, it. I don't know how to describe to someone fake and real but you just you gotta listen to this and if you if you don't hear it then you don't hear it you don't like it yeah. you don't like it but yeah. I just don't I don't hear I, I hear authenticity here absolutely and Absolutely. just a lover of music, mm-hmm. and that's all you really need. You know, and, the, and there's guys that are making good country music now. You know, Sturgill Simpson and and, and Jason Isbell and Drive By Truckers and these guys. Um, you know, keeping keeping the legacy of, of country music alive, like true true whatever you know, 
yeah. whatever that means true country i consider grant parsons true country music yeah and, um, and you could say the same thing there's terrible hip-hop out there's terrible rock there's terrible uh, rock terrible music out there. yeah, yeah. There, and there's always those thank god whoever they are those outliers but outliers that still they don't have to be mainstream but they they're hitting the uh some kind of movement that mm-hmm. needs to be even if it's underground not just for people but there's a pretty good underground following yeah and, and punk music and all that just as, as long as those people keep trucking then then we're good it's like it's it's like uh bill hicks says on the theme song uh on our theme song is you know play from your fucking heart yeah and that's what a lot of everything we're gonna do is it's stuff that we we feel that the artist is playing from the fucking heart and whether you like it or not you can't deny when someone is being true to to what they feel yeah they're not writing a song because oh here's a here's a song i have to write about you know driving trucks um it's true to my heart it's true to my heart and and that they're whether you like it or not you can't fake that you can't fake the funk and you know what's confusing and we'll get in we'll get into this on our next one with father john missy is sometimes you think you are playing true to your heart when you're not Mm -hmm. that's the confusing thing yeah because you can say you are but you're it's it's not it's i don't know what it's pretending not not to be someone else because you can't not help have your influences just all over you dripping yeah some bands you're just like you need to stop because you're embarrassing the band that you're trying to be um but if you listen to grant parsons i just you you can say all the influences but there's no one that sounds like him no He, he figured out his voice and that's pretty much where we'll end it folks Godspeed. Godspeed. Burn me in the uh, desert if I die, George. You heard it here. Are you, you, damn it. 750 bucks. That's it. Worth it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We're going out with brass buttons. Love you. Don't cry. Happy 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. Brass buttons, green silks, and silver shoes. Warm evenings, pale mornings, bottled blues. And the tiny golden pins that she wore up in.
home still lies beside my bed And the sun comes up without her It just doesn't know she's gone Oh, but I